Welcome back to Mike and Mike Theology Plus. For this next couple of episodes, we're going to be doing something a little bit different during the holidays. Uh, We're going to actually be recording separate short devotionals, putting them together for one longer podcast. I don't even know what the other Mike is recording on yet. He sent me his audio file, but I'm going to join him up and publish them. Um, I'm going to be talking about uh, the prayer in the opening chapter of Colossians. Uh, There's lots of prayers that Paul writes in his letters. This happens to be my favorite. Um, While I don't have it memorized today, I have memorized it in the past. And even though I don't have word-for-word recall of it now, uh, I understand the ideas and how they interconnect and flow. And it's easier for me to pray this, even if I don't have the word in front of me, because I'm praying those big ideas as as they, they come to mind, as they go from one part to another. So I encourage you to memorize uh, scripture and to have it down at least for two or three months. And then after you do that, you, you will have this. Even if you move on to other scripture that you memorize, you will still have uh, that at recall. So this is in Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, verses 9 through 14. Your, your Bible may actually have a division. Mine does in ASB between 12 and 13. 13 and 14, he's definitely transitioning out of the prayer, but it's the, the last kind of concluding thoughts of the prayer. So I'm going to include those uh, in the reading. And I'm going to read all the verses, then we'll just go back and talk one by one. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, and that's the faith of those in Colossae, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and light for he, that's Christ, rescued us from the domain of dark. Pardon me. For he, that's the Father, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right. So he starts out um, saying that he heard of their faith and he has prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. First question we have to ask is, what will is this? The Bible uses the will of God in more than one way. And if we try to flatten it out and say it's the same will in all circumstances, we're going to get into either contradiction or things that don't make sense logically. Very clearly, there's times when the Bible talks about God's sovereign will. Sometimes we'll call it, people will call it God's will of decree. Those are the things that God guarantees are going to come to pass. There's other times when the Bible talks about God's will, and they'll call, we call it God's moral will or his will of desire. Those are things that, uh, while man can thwart, when we do, it always comes as a penalty to us because we're sinning against him. For instance, um, 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 3 talks about God's will for us to be sexually pure. And there's some other things that follow there. That is something that God doesn't sovereignly guarantee like he would sovereignly guarantee other things that he decrees. I think it's very clear that this will that we're talking about here that Paul is asking um, would our knowledge and spiritual understanding be increased of is the moral will or God's will of desire. And, um, I've already slipped into it. So I'm going to just say from the beginning, I'm going to say, I'm going to assume I'm going to put myself in the role of the Colossians. I don't think that's 
They were a New Testament uh, church of Gentiles. I'm a New Testament uh, Gentile believer. So I'm going to put myself in that role. Um, and I would recommend that you pray this prayer for yourself, for your spouse, for your family, for your church, for your pastor. Uh, this is a great prayer to be prayed. Um, and it's, and it's God's word. So how awesome, how, how much more awesome could it be than, than praying God's word? So, um, Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The best way that we're going to learn what God's moral will for us is, is spending time in the word. He later on in this book, he'll go on to talk about, um, the word of God richly dwelling in us and how that, you know, when that happens, we have these, uh, spiritual hymns and songs of thanksgiving. We are at harmony with uh, those around us. So, and this would include not just what is sinful and righteous, but also what is wise. Not everything that is um, talked about in the Bible is necessarily a sin issue. Sometimes it's just a wisdom issue. We have lots of Proverbs that talk about what's wise to do. Um, so, and Paul is saying that he wants them to increase in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we would know the will of God. That is an end unto itself just to increase in our spiritual wisdom and understanding. But Paul doesn't stop there because when we do increase in our uh, spiritual wisdom and understanding, that helps us to do this next step, which is starts in verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So often Paul in his letters goes from, you know, a high theology or orthodoxy, he transitions into high practice or orthopraxy. He not, he wants our beliefs and our thoughts to be transformed. And when those are transformed, it should transform our lives and our actions. You see this pivot very clearly in Ephesians. He goes from Ephesians one, two, and three into chapter four, five, and six. And then right at the very, very beginning of chapter four, he says that he wants them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. Well, here he's saying the same thing. He wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so that we can please him. What an awesome thought to think that we can please God by how we live our lives. We want to please him in some respects. No, Paul says in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. When we spend time in the word, we're going to increase our spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's going to reflect on how we walk. And it should reflect on how we exercise our spiritual gifts, how we bear fruit for the Lord, and it should help us increase in our knowledge of who God is. There is a book knowledge and there's an experiential knowledge of who God is. And both of those go hand in hand. Um, and so we should be increasing in our knowledge of God. The uh, furthermore is that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. I like this. Paul often say, according to. He wants us strengthened with all power, not out of or a portion of God's glorious might, but according to God's glorious might. God's glorious might is way up here. He wants us strengthened with all power way up there because we're going to need it. Because when you look at what Paul is asking in this next section, we are going to need God's glorious power to do what Paul asked for in this next little phrase. 
for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Now, if you look up these two Greek words that translate steadfastness and patience, you're going to find out they're very similar. They are synonyms. So you might ask, why is Paul being redundant? Well, when you look into their connotations, steadfastness more often deals with circumstances, whereas patience more often deals with people. So Paul is saying this, I pray that you would have the power, according to God's glorious might, that you would be steadfast in all circumstances and patient with all people. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a tough call on me. I, I tend to sometimes be critical, especially in traffic when I'm driving and people put my life or my family's lives in danger. I, I tend to get critical or I can get irritated at circumstances when things aren't going the right way. If I'm mistreated, I don't like being treated unfair. So Paul is saying, I want, I'm praying that you be a beacon of light, that you would bear good fruit, that you would uh, be pleasing to, to God so that in all circumstances, you would, you would be a representative of Christ. You'd be an ambassador in that circumstance. With all people, you would be a representative of Christ. You'd be an ambassador to that, that person. So that wherever you find yourself, in whatever circumstance you find yourself, whatever people you are dealing with, you would reflect Christ. You would be a perfect representation of who Christ would be in that circumstance. That is a high calling. We need spiritual empowerment to do that. I do. Uh, because it's a, it's tough. But when we have that, just going from the beginning, when we have been dwelling in the Word and we're increasing the will of God and we're walking in a way of personal holiness so that we can please the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, when we are strengthened with power so that we are steadfast in all circumstances, patient with all people, the result of that, the fruit of that, is that we can joyously give thanks to the Father. Friends, if you are a believer, if you have had your sins paid for, we of all people should be joyously giving thanks to the Father. We were headed on a straight path to hell. God rescues us. He calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We were dead in our sins. We were slaves to the powers of the air, the prince of, of this world. And yet he transfers us from that kingdom into his new kingdom, which we're about to see in verse 13. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. That blows my mind. We're going to get an inheritance. We were adopted in. We were rebels against God. He calls us out, pursues us, wakes us up, draws us to him, puts his righteousness on us, and gives us an inheritance. We of all people should be joyously giving thanks to the Father. And that's really what these last verses say. For he rescued us, verse 13, from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved and son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We weren't left at zero. He didn't just forgive our sins and wipe us clean. He is building into each and every one of us. He's given us gifts. 
He's going to discipline us as a father disciplines his sons, his children. That's what Hebrews 12 says us so that we could have the perfect peace of righteousness. That's the, the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness uh, is what Hebrews 12 talks about so that we can please him. Um, so that's, that's the redemption part. We were forgiven from our sins, but we were redeemed for that original purpose that we would have a relationship with God, that we would walk with him, that we would enjoy him, that we would know how great he is and praise him, give thanks to him, bless his name for who he is and what he's done, and that we would walk in communion with him and that we would be able to be that light and that salt in the world and give him the honor and glory. This is a great prayer. I pray that you would spend time in this prayer. It's a good summary summation of what it means to be a believer and a follower of Christ and what we should be doing each and every one of us no matter whether we were just saved yesterday or we've been walking with the Lord for years and years we should be on this path this journey of knowing God better through his word helping that be that mental uh, transformation change our outward behavior so that we can walk in a way that pleases him for his honor and glory, strengthen with all power so that anywhere we are, whatever circumstance, whatever people, we would be patient and steadfast and that we would be able to just be thankful to God, our Redeemer, who's transferred us out of being in rebellion into being in sonship and adoption and co-inheritors Praise the Lord. I, I uh, recommend that you spend time in his word. I recommend that you spend time in these prayers. Um, if you don't have a plan for the new year, how about um, doing this uh, at the beginning of the year? Spending time in um, this passage, memorizing it um, and praying it for me. <laughs> Pray it for yourself. Pray it for others around you. God bless. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. This is Mike 2 from Mike and Mike Theology Plus, and I'd like to share a Christmas devotional with you guys. You know, in the years leading up to Christ's birth, Israel was a nation waiting. God had ceased speaking some 400 years earlier with no prophets being sent to Israel since the times of Malachi, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Yet the New Testament shows us that the Jews were waiting with expectation for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's from Luke 2.38. And there we see Simeon and Anna, who are typical of those devout Jews at that time. Well, what were they awaiting? In Genesis 3.15, God promises to send a Redeemer to, seal, to deal with sin by crushing the head of the serpent. In Hosea 11.1, God promised to call forth his son from Egypt. In Deuteronomy 18, when Israel had a record of being unfaithful in the wilderness, God promised to raise up another prophet like Moses. In 2 Samuel 7, God promised David that he would raise up 
one of David's offspring as an eternal king. In Micah 5, 1 through 2, God promised to bring forth this ruler from Bethlehem. And in Isaiah 7, 14, God promised that a virgin would give birth to Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then God sent no more prophets. And there was 400 years of silence. God stopped speaking to his people. So what about those promises? Well, God's people trusted that God was faithful. They believed that God would be true to fulfill the promises he had made. And on a winter night, in a peasant house in Palestine, far from any external majesty or glory, the first fulfillments of these promises came to pass. From a virgin, with no human father, the Son of God, the last Adam, was born, according to prophecy. In the little town of Bethlehem, the city of David, the promised Son of David, the eternal King, was born, according to prophecy. The new and better Moses, the prophet and priest whose ministry will never end, was sent forth from the tribe of Judah, according to prophecy. And to escape evil King Herod, Jesus Christ, the new and faithful Israel, was sent to Egypt, later to be called out by God, according to prophecy. In the birth of our Savior, we see the character of our God. What promises He makes, He keeps. And there's one more. When we see young Mary delivering her son, we also see God delivering on the promise given in the garden, sending us the promised Redeemer. Father, on this day when we celebrate the birth of your son, I give you praise and glory, and I stand in awe of all that you have done for us. I thank you, God, that every promise you make, you keep. And I ask that we would glory in the incarnation of your Son this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>